Lord, it's amazing we have a variety of emotion, and sometimes these emotions are conflicted. Sometimes they're conflicted within ourselves. Sometimes they're conflicted amongst ourselves. And Lord, we see things from different vantage points. And I pray tonight as we look into your word, Father, we'll see life through a lens that's maybe a little unlike our own. It's the lens that you see life through. Lord, help us to enter into communion with you. Help us to become a people who truly relate to you. We call it prayer, but we're in communion with you. We build this unity and this family because we're praying with each other and we're moving away from pretense to a realm of vulnerability and authenticity. I pray, Father, that in these days to come that you'll bring hope, you'll bring healing, you'll bring grace, you'll bring forgiveness, you'll grant us understanding. And Lord, in the process, we'll be transformed more closely into your image. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. How many know that there are elements in life that, you know, are surreal? Or, you know, sometimes, you know, life can be more true than fiction. You know, there's incidents that happen and you, you, you hear the story and you go, that can't be true. It just seems like it's beyond the bounds of reality. But let me tell you a little story here. It happened in the fall of 1994, and Sydney Hartman uh, from a little town in Arkansas, she was walking home. She unlocked the door. She was about to enter in. She could hear the phone ringing. She was going to run to the phone. Anybody ever had that experience? You can try to get to the phone. And she realized that she was being burglarized. There were people robbing her. And so the burglars were startled by her presence. They tore the phone off the wall. And, uh, and the guy that was there, you know, he, he, he told her, listen, he ordered her into the closet. Now, I don't know if that triggered something in her mind, but because she was a Christian and she knew that, you know, Jesus said, if you're going to pray, go in your closet. I don't know, but she started praying. And she said to him on the way to the closet, she said, I want you to know that God loves you and I forgive you. And it really rattled this poor burglar. He didn't know how to handle this response of this household owner. So he finally yells out to the back, to the lady that was in a pickup. He said, we've got to unload all of this stuff. This is a Christian home, and this is a Christian family, and we just can't do this to them. And so she's in the closet praying, and they're unloading the furniture and stuff that they had taken out of her house. And before he leaves, he drops the bullets out of the gun, hands her the bullets, hands her the gun, and walks out the door. Now, you know, I, I read that story, and I just think to myself, wow, what, a, what an experience. I, I think she's probably in a little bit of shock. Wouldn't you kind of be in shock have that experience? And I probably could ask some of you here today some of your, your stories of how God heard your cry. Now, they may not be this, quite this dramatic or this wild, but you know, I think we all have a story we can tell if we've been a Christian for a while, how God has heard our cry and answered prayer in ways that maybe even were beyond what we could even ever ask, think, or imagine. And I, and I know that that's true. One of the most profound characteristics of God's kingdom is that we can have relationship directly with the king. That, that's, that's an amazing thought, you know. I don't have direct access to the prime minister. I imagine if I tried phoning his place, I'd get the runaround. How many think that's probably true? You know, and, I, and if I wrote a letter, he may never get it. Somebody else might get it, read it. They might file it in garbage. I don't know what they would do with it. You know, I might get a letter back. It'd probably be some sort of a form letter. Thank you for writing the prime minister. But you know, you and I as believers, we have direct access to God himself. 
And we can do it at a moment, moment's notice. We don't have to worry about our cell phone battery dying on us. We don't have any of those issues. We can actually talk to God. We can have this relationship, this communion with Almighty God. And so prayer, we all agree, is one of the most profound elements of the Christian life. I would even argue that prayer is an expression of great faith. That when you and I pray, it's really expressing our dependency on Almighty God. And knowing all of this, we struggle with prayer. How many here you can honestly say, yeah, pastor, I have some struggles with prayer. Anybody here, you ever struggle with prayer? Yeah, we're all being honest tonight, sure. And you know what? There's a reason for that. Because we have a spiritual adversary called Satan, and he is at, he's battling with our souls, and he's trying to come up, cut off the communication lines. Now, when you send an army into the field, you know, you want to make sure that there's a a basis of communication with that army in the field. You want to be able to bring supplies to them. I mean, if you can't feed that army and supply that army, they're going to they're going to get weak. They're going to actually be, you know, ineffective in their maneuvering, right? So you want to cut off the supply line. That's that's what enemies try to do, cut off the supply line. And the enemy of our soul is trying to cut off our supply line. We need to understand that. So, you know, prayer is fundamentally the most important ingredient because it facilitates this relationship with God. It's how we begin the relationship, we get introduced to him, you know, and we, we initiate our relationship with God through prayer. And we sustain this relationship through prayer. How many know that if you don't keep communicating, you don't have a relationship? Isn't that true? And, you know, I've been, I've been married for a long time, and I've, I've dealt with marriages for a long time, and one of the things that happens in marriages is people stop communicating. And it creates all kinds of problems in their relationship. And so I would argue and say that, you know, you can handle a lot of disappointments, a lot of frustrations in relationships, but once you stop communicating, you're in trouble. That's a big problem. And it's the same thing in our relationship with God. So tonight we're going to look at this whole issue of prayer. You know, it, it's so fascinating to me. The disciples had seen such amazing miracles. They saw Jesus walking on water. They saw him command the wind and waves to stop. They saw people heal from, you know, terrible diseases. They saw demonic forces flee. And they never said to Jesus, you know, could you teach me how to tell the waves to stop? I never, I never read that in the scriptures anyways. Maybe they asked him privately, but we don't get that in the text. But one of the texts of scriptures says this. They saw that Jesus was praying, and they somehow equated what Jesus was doing with his relationship to his father. So they said, one of the disciples says, Lord, could you teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples how to pray? And we know what the response was. Jesus taught them what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. How many know the prayer that I'm talking about? You know, how many actually you were taught it, maybe you had to memorize it? I grew up memorizing. Some of you and some of I, you know, we actually felt like, you know, you're saying the actual words that we're actually praying. But this is not designed to be rote. This is designed to be a model prayer. It's designed to teach us the essence of what true communication is. And so tonight I want to look at that, and I'm going to break it down into two major uh, focuses. Simply, uh, there's two elements to consider. Now I know there's six petitions. We're going to divide them up. You know, the first three are focused primarily on our relationship with God, and then the last three have to do with us asking for God's assistance in our daily lives. So let's take a look at these elements. The first one I call an upward focus. And I think this is where we struggle in prayer. Because this is not how I usually begin. I don't know, we kind of, usually when we get to God, we're in a desperate frame of mind, a lot of times. And we have needs, and we start blurting out all the things that we want God to kind of attend to. Isn't that true? 
you know, otherwise we just don't bother going there. You know, we don't spend time, you know, going, okay, I'm going to go through this prayer and work it, you know, a certain way. We don't quite think that way. In other words, we often are self-absorbed when it comes to praying. And we usually tell God what we want him to do, and we usually tell God how we want him to do it. We make all kinds of good suggestions, like, God, if you could just heal my aunt, I know that my cousins would get saved because they see the power. I mean, we're telling God how to run the universe, you know, and, and, and God, he, he's, he's very, I think he smiles and he goes, if you only knew better. You, you, you know, this is not gonna work the way you think. But, you know, he listens to us as we bring all of these issues. And, uh, and the first thing I notice about prayer is how Jesus begins this prayer. And what's the first thing he teaches his disciples on prayer? He starts out with what? Our Father. Now, right off the bat, we see this pronoun. It's plural, our Father. So a couple of things I glean from that simply is this, that number one, Jesus is saying that you and I have the same relationship with the Father above as he has. Wow, our Father. In other words, that presupposes that you and I are his children. That's an amazing thought. Now, do you realize that once you are family members, you, you are in a different boat than everybody else. Now, I, you know, years ago, I, I told the administrative staff in our church, you know, and over the years, I've, I've, I've always told them this. Listen, when my family phones, I don't care what I'm doing, their call comes through. Now, and that probably won't happen to you guys. You'll phone, you'll leave a message, I'll get back to you, right? But if my family phones, I take the call, you know? And here's how my thinking is. My family, they just don't phone me for no reason. They know I'm working, they're not gonna bug me, but if something is significant, you know, if they're having an emergency, they're gonna phone me. Dad, I need help, you know. You know, first thing out of their mouth, Dad, are you with people? Can I, I'm sorry to bug you, you know, but this is really important to me. And I take those calls, why? Because they're my family, they're my first priority. And I think that's right to do. And I think that that's the way our Father in Heaven sees us. You need to understand something. If you and I are in relationship to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his child. You are high priority to him. Now that ought to encourage us right off the bat. Jesus says, our father. Wow, that's amazing to me. So that's encouraging. So the first uh, essential principle in prayer comes by way of introduction to the purpose we're praying to. You know, I think a lot of times people are praying to a stranger, you know, a lot of people don't really know God very well. And so that's part of the problem. When you're, how many know when you're conversing with a person you don't know very well, your conversation goes a lot differently than someone you know very well? How many know that's true? You know, and so what we need to do is cultivate this relationship with God. And how do I do that, Pastor? Well, we spend time in his word. We get to know what he's like. We spend time in prayer. We spend time in fellowship with other Christians. We learn good things from other Christians. We learn not so good things from other Christians. Right? We learn good theology and bad theology. Really, bad things about God and good things about God. What I mean by bad things is some of us have funny ideas about God. They're not actually correct. And we pass on that information to other people. You know, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders had an idea that the more words you used, the more impressed God was. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Now, and, and you know, Jesus straightened them out on that. As a matter of fact, it says, prayers were usually long and filled with verbiage. It was actually believed that whoever was long in prayer was heard more readily by God. So these guys would really go on. As a matter of fact, the more flowery, the better. And well-known prayer had no less than 16 adjectives preceding the name of God. They were really trying to impress God. 
God goes, knock it off. (laughs) Jesus says, no, 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 just get down to it. You know, make this simple, our Father. Beautiful. You know, there was this strange idea that whoever banged long and hard on the doors of heaven was granted God's attention. In other words, and you know, you can see that in the Old Testament, some of these pagan worshipers are cutting themselves and screaming and doing all kinds of weird stuff to get their God's attention. Isn't that true? You know, and God goes, you know what, enough already. You're not going to get any more attention by your crazy behavior or your, you know, virtuous behavior or your long behavior. You know, this, I'm doing all the right things, God. And you know, what that really breeds in our minds is if I do it, all the right things, God somehow is in, is in, you know, he owes me something. Can I tell you right now, God owes you and I absolutely nothing. So don't come to God based on you owe me. Look what I've done for you, God. You know, no, God does things for us strictly because of his gracious nature, because of who he is, not because of who we are. You know, in this Matthew rendition, uh, we see here there's really, you know, this, there's two great, I think, theological thoughts about prayer. One is the sense of tr- the transcendence of God. You go, what's that? Well, God is above and beyond us. And, you know, I could say here right now that a lot of us develop our sense of who God is by who our father was. And so if we had a very weak father, we have a weak God. If we had a very strong, domineering, abusive father, that's our picture of what God's like, which is unfortunate because God is, I'm gonna shatter some things. God is probably not quite like your earthly father unless he was an amazingly godly father. Then you're getting a closer picture of what God was like. But here's another shattering thought for us. God is not like us. God is not like you. You say, thank God God's not like me, you know. But, you know, sometimes we think God is like us. And so what I mean by that statement is, you know, if, we, if, we're, if we're soft on a certain area of our lives, then we think God is soft on a certain area. Well, God's not like that, you see. And if we think, you know, God's just letting think people get away with things, I, I, I look at it this way. No one's getting away with anything. You need to understand something. Just because God doesn't come out of heaven and zap people because they did something wrong, you know, and they're waving their fists and they're cursing God, and God doesn't lighten bolt them, you know, then they think, you know, oh, look, there's no God. Can I just tell you something? God is far more patient than that, and he looks at this ridiculous human behavior, and he tolerates a lot of stupid things we do, but down below here, I'm just being honest with you, looks at us and he pities us. God pities us, and he shows mercy to us. Thank God for that. Uh, you know who's included in our prayer? And I love this, because usually when we pray, and I've noticed this, sometimes our prayers are very weak. They're very anemic. And what do I mean by that? Uh, well, I put down who's included in our prayer. Well, I'm gonna show you right now that when we're praying, God is helping us, and the Holy Spirit is helping us, and Jesus is helping us. Thank good. Thank goodness for that. German pastor and theologian Helmut Tilica says, in other words, Jesus prays along with you. When our prayers are weak or listless or stupid, he lifts up our weak and tired words in his hands, and in his hands and on his lips they become true prayers. In other words, Jesus is taking what, we, what we're saying and interpreting for us. And, you know, I have to be honest, I've sat here in prayer meetings and I've listened to some prayers and I went, wow, is that ever weird? That is the most weird theology I've ever heard. But I already know that God is so loving and gracious, he's going to interpret that the right way. Aren't you glad for that? So, you know, a lot of times we go, I don't pray, Pastor, because I don't know how to pray. If I say the wrong things, I'm afraid God's going to zap me. Listen, God is going to take 
all of the things we're doing and he's going to look at our hearts and he's going to interpret it in the right way. Isn't that gracious of him? Thank God. The Holy Spirit is helping us in our weakness. But then on the other hand, you can actually be totally theologically correct and pray this great prayer. And God goes, I'm not even listening to that because I can see that you're disconnected emotionally from your prayer. And you're just saying the right things, but your heart's not engaged in it. How's that? So don't, God's not impressed with great theological praying either. What he's looking at is that we're like his kids. And he's looking at our hearts, and he can help us with our prayers. Matter of fact, uh, Jesus, it says here in Hebrews chapter 7, he lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood, and he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And I love this verse because it's telling me right now that every single moment of every single day, Jesus himself is praying for us. Isn't that great news? You know, sometimes when we're a brand new Christian, we want to find an older saint. Would you please pray for me? I got this big thing that's coming up, you know, and I don't know how many people. You know, we almost think like their prayers are better than my prayers. And I want to just have you relax tonight to let you know that you have someone praying on your behalf every single moment. And he is the best prayer because it is God himself praying for you. You know, in Romans it says the Spirit himself is interceding on our behalf. How many think that's amazing? God himself is praying for you and me. We can't even do that right. But he's helping us. And I'm going, thank goodness you're helping us. This most important area, you know, you're helping us pray. I'm saying all of that because I'm trying to eliminate all the excuses that we have for not praying. I don't know how to pray. Like I tell people, don't worry about it. It's hard to mess up. What do you mean? God will help you. You know, some people go, I have no idea where to begin. I say, take the Psalms and just start reading them. Make them your prayers. I know you'll start praying better prayers because it's in the Bible, right? You're praying God's will. It's very powerful. Uh, Do you know what the main thing in prayer is all about? This is going to shock you. It's not about us and all of our needs. See, that's what we think it's about. Actually, the main thing in, in our prayer is, is uh, no, I, I skipped this point. The main thing in prayer is not really that we present particular petitions, but that we enter into communion, into this relationship with the Father. We're entering his presence. That's the main thing about prayer. It's just hanging with God. Isn't that awesome? I'm hanging out with God today. Woo! And, and you know, God wants us to hang out with him every day, and God says, hey, listen, you can actually hang out with me when you go to work. You can actually hang out to me when you go to school. You can hang out with me and be aware that I'm with you always and that when you may feel alone, I'm right there with you, and you can actually, you know, communicate with me and say, you know, I'm having a problem right now. I don't know what to do here. And you cry out to God, and God says, hey, I'll help you through this experience. Wow. I love this. Oh, this is the... So often we pray for senseless things that have no relation to our needs. We just think they do. And the reason is that we don't know the deepest wants and necessities of our lives. Often we're saying, you know, God, this is what I need. You know, if I could only win the lotto. And God goes, yeah, and it would mess you up. You know, or somebody says, you know, I'm really, I'm crazy about this girl, God, or this guy. And God goes, yeah, and they'll wreck your life. You know, I'm, I'm trying to point out to you that you and I think we know what we want. What we really want is to be loved, to be understood, 
See, we have these deep needs, and many times we try to build false substitutes for the true realities. God knows what you really need. We should be encouraged by that. I am so thankful for that. Then, as I just shared a minute ago, the main thing in prayer is that it's not about all our petitions, but it's his presence. And that's the second great theological truth. Even though God, you know, is far beyond us and he's above us and he's, you know, he, he has an understanding that transcends us and you and I can't tell him how to run the universe because we haven't got a clue anyways. We can't even run our own lives correctly. We can't control our, you know, the people around us. There's so many things happening to us, right? How many, come on, let's be honest. It's all happening at one time, so maybe we should let God run the universe and maybe help us run our lives. And then the most profound thought is God's eminence, which is God is near us. And I love prayer because prayer is not just me doing all the talking. Have you ever had, talk, had a conversation with someone and you'd like to say something, but you know you don't need to? You know what I'm talking about? Ever met a person, they're doing the whole conversation. And if you say something, they didn't need it anyways. They just keep right on going. <laughs> How many have ever had that situation? You're going, wow, this is not really a conversation. <laughs> right? And, I, you know, I, I, I'm trying to give, point out something. That's how some of us pray to God. It's like a monologue. You're exactly right. And we don't really care what God has to say. We're just saying all of our stuff. And why I'm bringing that out is because Prayer isn't just us doing all the talking. It's about being in the presence of God and waiting on God and sitting there and letting God speak into our innermost being. Wow. You know, our church does something very dramatic. I know somebody says, this is the only church I know that does this. We do moments of prayer and fasting in our church's calendar. We do it three times a year. We have three nights of prayer and fasting. I'm speaking on prayer this week. I'm speaking on fasting next week. Don't opt out. Because, you know, a lot of us, we haven't got a clue about fasting. And I want to explain it to you so you don't have to freak out about it. And you get a more deeper understanding of it. Okay? But let me just say this to us. Why do we do this? Because for most of us, we're like those little gerbils in the machine that runs up in the you know, little cage. We're running like crazy. How many could say, you know what, I almost feel like my life is like that. I'm, you know, Majit was here last week, and I love his little statement. He goes, I'm A-D-D-D-D-D-D, you know? And I think that's how some of us live. We're just constantly going, 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 going. We got an agenda. We got all these things we got to do. And, you know, oh, I got to pray. And we slip in, and we start blah, 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 blah. And then we're gone. And God, whoa, wait a minute. I was going to say something. But God doesn't get a word in edgewise. Because we think prayer is setting our agenda before God, and God goes, uh, I have an agenda for you. But we're not living it out. We're just living out our agenda. And so God wants to change that. And so if you look at this prayer, notice how Jesus says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. How many already get a sense it's got nothing to do with us? It's all about God and his perfect plan and will and how you and I fit into it. And so many of us are frustrated with life because we don't know how we fit into God's plan. And so we're trying to make God fit into our plan. And it's not working out the way we want it to. And so we're frustrated and we're, we're saying, you know, God's not listening to me. He's not answering my prayer. He you know, seems to be on another page. And, I, and you, you know what? You're right. He is on another page. And he's trying to get you on, on his page. 
you know, we learn that the happy gift of prayer consists of receiving the fellowship of the Father, that he gives us his whole heart, that we can accept everything from his hand. That is why our will emerges from prayer quite different from what it was when we entered. How many have had this experience where you've gone into the prayer closet, you're spending time with God, you're talking to God, you're frustrated, upset, you go in, and then all of a sudden you, you just kind of chill out a little bit, and you start settling down, you start just being in God's presence, and then all of a sudden your thinking changes. And all of a sudden you realize, you know what, I'm coming at this backwards. And I realize... Why don't I just trust God with this? And why don't I let God work this out? And all of a sudden, a peace comes over our heart. We leave our prayer closet and we go, well, nothing changed except for one thing, me. How many think that's pretty profound? Because isn't that what needs to change, usually? That's what he's saying. It comes out of a reconciled will, a will that leans on the Father and surrenders to Him. In short, a will that sees everything that comes, whether it be love or suffering, as flowing from the everlasting good hands of God, and therefore can say, not in sad renunciation, but in a childlike trust, not mine, but the will, but thine be done. That's the German pastor, Helmut Tillicke. What a profound thought. What he's basically saying is, God, I now accept what's happening to me. I've resigned myself to accepting what's going on. By the way, if you don't know anything about Helmut Tillicke, he was actually pastoring a German congregation during World War II when bombs were falling down. 4,000 people were listening to him preach and he's talking about this stuff. That's a little bit of the context. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Not what we want, God. What you want. That's pretty powerful. I think it's powerful. You know, we enter into a fellowship of prayer. We begin to pray together. Do you know what happens you know, a lot of people think, well, prayer is just what I do with God. It's a per personal and a private thing. Well, the early church didn't understand it that way. They actually prayed together. I can prove that to you in the book of Acts. They actually met together and prayed together. I think there's a time to pray apart, a pray alone, to walk with God, in communion with God, moment by moment, day by day, practicing the presence of God, you know, Brother Lawrence's book. But I think there's also this time of coming together in corporate prayer. And what prayer does, and I love this about praying, you know, in this room right now, we all have different distinctions. We're male, we're female. Some of us have good education. We don't have any education. Some of us are wealthy. Some of us are poor. Some of us are anxious. Some of us are laid back. I'm just giving you all the different variances. You know, male, you know all of these different ethnic backgrounds, different perspectives. And so we all come to a, a problem and a project. This is what usually happens. Strife is the end result. We all have, an, you know, if there's 16 people in the room, we all got an idea of how it should be done and none of them usually agree. We're all frustrated and up in knots and uptight. I'm just kind of describing the human condition. And then we come into a time of prayer. I love this. You know, there's a person there, you know, maybe they have disabilities in their life, but it doesn't matter because once you get to the cross of Jesus, everybody's equal. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian 100 years or you've just been a Christian one moment. God is going to treat you the same way. It's an amazing thing to me. And you know what happens when you and I start praying together then we, and we, we really get you know, real and we become authentic. All of a sudden we realize the person that I thought had their total life together is crying before God and we hear the pain and the brokenness and we hear the anxiety and the trouble in their soul and we all of a sudden feel a deeper empathy and a deeper compassion towards that person. All of a sudden, you know, I'm identifying with this person. 
Because you and I do not identify with each other in our strengths. We never do. We're competing with each other. But the moment we start sharing our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities before God and each other, we are actually drawn into each other. It's an amazing thing. And we begin to love one another. And we begin to have a deeper understanding of each other. Do you know, I'm convinced that if we'll pray together, we will be far more loving, far more forgiving, far more understanding than when we don't pray together. And I really believe that one of the reasons why in North America today there's so many broken relationships is because we don't pray together. It's just that simple. I'm just hitting it right on the head. And if you really get down and be honest, you know, if, if we were really sharing our lives in prayer, sharing our fears, sharing our tears, crying out to each other. You know, I, I think that sometimes prosperity has done us great damage because we can live in isolation from each other. You know, we don't have to, we don't have to care for one another. We don't have fears and, and frustrations and, you know, we can kind of, you know, we don't really need God because we can't actually have enough in life that we, we don't even pray. We just don't even depend on God. We're just trying to live a life independent of God and independent of other people. And I think that's so sad. And so we're broken, we're fragmented, we're misunderstood, and we're angry. That's what I sense. Do you sense that? It's unfortunate, isn't it? Do you think the early church under persecution, what were they doing? They were banding together, they were praying. They said, God, look what's happening to us. Please hear our cry. And God did hear their cry. It says in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, they, were all, they joined together constantly in prayer. They join together constantly in prayer. I will guarantee you one thing. If you're a husband and wife and you pray every day together, you'll stay together. I'll guarantee that. You know what I know? Just because we're Christians, that doesn't mean we pray together. I know that for a fact. You know, we're, we, need to, we need to just take each other by the hand and stop giving each other answers. God's tired of it. You know what, we all, have, we all have thoughts and we all have answers and we've all, you know, we've all been to school. We all, we all think we know how to run the world. Why don't we stop playing the game and just reach out, just take the person's hand and say, Carol, can I pray with you? You know, can I show you that I care about you? I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to pray with you because next week I'm hoping you'll pray with me. Isn't that true? We need one another. We really do. Let me move on here. I could go all through, you know, all the things that happened as they prayed. But the, fourth, the first petition that Jesus instructs us in our prayers is that we ought to long to see our Father glorified and honored. Is that truly what we're concerned about when we come into the prayer closet? God, I'm really concerned that you're honored and glorified today. I don't think that's where our heads are at. See, I think that's the problem. We're in the wrong square. What we need to do is get up in the morning and say, okay, God, this is not about me. I'm here created for your will and for your good pleasure. I'm created here for your purpose. What do you have in mind for my day today? And what would you like me to say and not to say? That's just as important. I mean, isn't that true? Sometimes we've got to keep our mouth shut. You know, Lord, help me just to say what you want me to say, no more, no less. Help me only to do what you want me to do, no more, no less. Um, as we see, this does not mean that our personal needs won't be met, but the priorities need to change in our praying. That's what I'm getting at here. How many are beginning to see our focus is immediately wrong when we pray? It's all about us, and it should be about God. That's the big point I'm making. How many got that point? 
It's really about God. It's not really about us. If we came into prayer this way, it would change everything about our lives. And if we began to say, God, it's not what I want. It's what you want. It's not my agenda. It's your agenda. God, you made me for a purpose. Am I really living out your purposes? And I'm hoping in these three nights of fasting and prayer that we'll get quiet before God. God can speak into our lives and actually can redirect our hearts and thoughts and our lives and our direction and all kinds of neat things will begin to happen. We can actually hear from God. Wouldn't that be amazing? I love it. Maybe we're not doing what God wants us to do. It's just a thought. The second petition deals with our agenda first. It says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, God. Not my kingdom, you know. Oh, third request has to do with God's will being done on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Watchman Nee said something really interesting. To have God to do his own work through us even once is better than a lifetime of human striving. What is he saying? He says it's an amazing thing when you and I are simply a vessel in the hand of God and God does something profound through your life and you're going, wow, you did this through me, God. I didn't even try to make this happen. You did it. You know, that's a different way of living. You know, a lot of us were striving so hard. God wants us to rest. You know, I'm going to share a thought with you. And I, I remember reading this. I read The Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther. This is a good theological book. It's pretty intense. I just warn you. But, you know, he says some interesting things, and I'll try to unpack it. Because... When, when we're praying, you know, thy will be done. Listen, it says, people say, yes, certainly God has given us a free will. To this I reply, to be sure, he has given us a free will. Why then will you not let it remain free, but make it your own will? That is a very profound thought. What, what is Luther saying? You know, a lot of people say, I want to be free. I want to do my own thing. If you do your own thing, you are no longer free. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor. Listen to what he says. If you do with it what you will, it is not a free will. It becomes your will. Okay? But God has given neither you nor any man your own will, for, you, for your own will comes from the devil and from Adam. What, he, what he's basically saying is, here's the problem with us doing our will. Our wills are fallen. We have a fallen will. We have a predisposition towards sin. We have an Adamic nature inside of us. So if we just do our will, it's going to be the wrong thing. That's what he's trying to tell us. We're not that free. The only people that have a free will are the ones who Christ has rescued, and now we have the choice to do his will. And every time we do his will, we're now free. And every time we rebel against his will, we're into the bondage of the will. That's what Luther's trying to bring out in that. It's a pretty intense reading. They... They made the free will which they received from God into their own will. For a free will desires nothing of its own. It only cares for the will of God. And so it remains free, cleaving and clinging to nothing. It's a very profound thought. The only free people are the ones that don't have an agenda. Do you know, here's, here's an anomaly. Here's an irony of life. The freest people are those that don't need anything. They don't want anything. They're content with what God has given them. That's the free people. The rest are in bondage. Striving, manipulating, frustrated, and 
By the way, when I say all of these things, how do you know so much, Pastor? I've lived all corners of this thing. See, I'm, I'm older. I've gone through all this stuff. And I'm not saying I'm totally eradicated from all these issues. I'm just saying I recognize it for what it is. So when we're truly communing with God, to say to God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Well, here's, here's planet earth for me, <laughs> in me. Your will be done in me. I was reading this morning. Listen to what Jesus Hebrews is talking about Christ's coming. It says, I delight. You have prepared a body for me. What's the next line? I delight to do thy will, O Lord. You know, Jesus only said what the Father wanted him to say and only did what the Father wanted him to do. He was the only free man. How many think that's profound? To be that free. I don't have to worry. Come on. You know what's driving most of our lives? Our fears, our insecurities. Come on now. A lot more than we'd like to admit, right? They're deep down inside of us. They're, you know, and the Bible will make a statement like perfect love does what? Casts out fear. And so what hasn't happened is that you and I have not received the love of God, which is so strong inside of us that we go, God, I'm resting in perfect love. It's not all dependent on me. And you know what really fries us when we're, the, when we're the kind of person that's always working hard and working hard, and then we see this other person get, get something and they didn't deserve it. That usually fries people that are, the, you know, the people who are doing all the, all the striving. Come on now. Come on. Isn't that true? And I'm trying to tell you, listen, why don't you live in rest? Why don't you live in trust? Why don't you live in love? Why don't you trust God so completely to say, you know what, I, I've made, I'm making a decision tonight. I want to spend time in your presence, oh God, not to get something out of you, but that I can be free from all the struggles that are within me. It's just a thought. And then I can just get to that place where I can surrender my will to you. Wow, that's just the first part of my sermon. Let me move on. Oh, I got to read this because I, I think this is, really good. Every day we need to ask ourselves who agendas, whose agenda am I on? Does this bring glory to God? Is this in violation with God's revealed will in his word? You know, Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. If you read an amazing story, you know what he, he eventually wrote? I used to ask God to help me, and then I asked if I might help him, and then I ended up asking him to do his work through me. In other words, he kept moving in his progression to finally just do your will through me. Okay, let me move to the second element, the outward focus. Oh, I get convicted on my own sermons, Lord. This is awful. Do we live anxiously? Do we worry about things? How do we treat other people? Have we been so gripped with his amazing grace? Are we dependent on God's grace, not only to save us from our sins, but to keep us from succumbing from the attacks of the enemy? You know, the next request is the provision for the kingdom. Listen to what it says. Give us this day our daily bread. No, I don't want daily bread. I want security, God. I want, you know, Freedom 55. I want to make sure I've got all the, you know, resources. Come on, let's be honest. We don't want to have to live day by day trusting God. 
You know, the majority of the world has to live day by day trusting God. And you know what I found? It's so fascinating. And we were chatting here in our lunchroom afterwards. You know the happiest people on earth are the people who have the less? The people who have the most are all anxious and uptight, and the people who have nothing are all happy. I think there's some poetic justice into all of this. You ever thought about that? Give us this day our daily bread. Well, let me tell you something. If you just have to you know, ask God every day for daily bread, then you're going to have to trust God every single day. It's not a bad place to be living. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. Daily bread is always fresh. It's fresh bread. Good, good point. Fifth petition has to do with our greatest need, which is forgiveness. Because we keep messing up. At least I do, you know. The need for forgiveness reveals that we need God's grace. You know, think about what is grace? What is grace? A gift that God gives me I don't deserve. I cannot earn it, right? And doesn't God give me forgiveness? Has God given you forgiveness? How many here say God has forgiven me? Raise your hand. God's forgiven me. Sure he has. You know what? I'm going to say something shocking. God has forgiven the entire world. Just that most of us don't receive it. That's the tragedy. You can receive it. And it's free. It's here for the taking. God says, I'm giving it to you. And do you know how we know that we have, forg- we have received this forgiveness? By the way we treat other people. You see, if I'm unforgiving, it says that I probably have never really experienced forgiveness. I've got to let go of stuff. Isn't that, Jesus talked about this parable. He said there was a man who owed a huge amount. It was an unlimited amount. Actually, the Bible gives a ridiculous number, 10,000 talents. Really, the number 10,000 is the biggest in the Bible, and you know, talents is the biggest amount. You know, The story is, a, is really a parable. It's to teach us a lesson. He's basically saying that our indebtedness to God is beyond our comprehension. You and I could never repay what we owe God. You could never do it. I can never do it. Okay? We're bankrupt. And God says, I forgive you. And then the guy goes out and somebody owes him, you know, so many, you know, denarii. A hundred denarii. hundred denarii is a lot of money. It's like, you know, a third of an annual salary. So it's a lot. We've been hurt by people. Yes. So God, we're not minimizing the pain that we experience and the abuse and the manipulation and all those things. But in light of what God's done for us, We can tell that we've really understood the nature of forgiveness and received it when we give it to others. Listen to what the prayer goes. Forgive us our debts or our sins. Forgive us our sins as as we forgive those who sin against us. We've made it conditioned upon our degree of forgiving others. Wow. How do you forgive others? Well, my attitude is, if I don't totally forgive these people, I'm going to be in trouble. Because I, I ha- if I'm going to give a conditional forgiveness, maybe what I'm going to get in return is a conditional forgiveness. You know, I've got to think about these things. Do you guys ever meditate on Scripture and think about these things? At least I think about them. I'm going, boy, I better be unconditional in my forgiveness of other people because I certainly want God to forgive me, not conditionally, but unconditionally. I need unconditional forgiveness. And then... Uh, Jesus is revealing that an unforgiving spirit is really a revelation of an unthankful, unresponsive heart. People who truly receive the forgiveness of God become forgivers by nature. It just becomes second nature to us. Not a problem, right? I forgive. It's becoming a way of life. The final petition has to do with protection. Uh, 
Oh, here. Okay. It says, knowing our weaknesses as people marred by the effects of sin, we need God's strength and grace to overcome that which would destroy us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Should be evil one. Your translations sometimes just say evil. But they do that because we've memorized it, but really, it's evil one. Believe me. Lead us not into temptation. Anybody have any temptation this week? My hand is up. What's with you guys? Can I just, do you have a pulse? You know, I mean, you know, if the enemy doesn't come after you some way or other, you know, nobody's poked any buttons. You haven't been tempted, you know, to do anything wrong. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's just Sunday. Well, yeah, it's not over yet. Last week, we'll go to last week, you know. Last week, yes. Okay, lead us not into temptation. You know, somebody this morning said, I really thought about this prayer. You know, it's said in a negative way to emphasize the positive side of it. That's, it's, it's kind of a Hebraism concept, you know. But the, the point is simply, really simply, how do I overcome temptation? It's a great question. Because we all succumb. Sometimes we, we succumb to unforgiveness, you know, Right? And go on. We can talk about all kinds of things, materialism. Just keep going down the line. We could talk about laziness. You know, and let's not go there. Uh, we're not going down the sin list. Okay, we won't do that. But if, you know, here's, here's what's interesting. And I love what Henry Nouwen says. And he says this. I can, cannot continuously say no to this or no to that unless there's something ten times more attractive to choose. You know, it's a lot easier to choose the right thing when the right thing is so obviously greater than the wrong thing. How many say that's true? You know, what are, how many, you know, you have a little kid, a little, little child, maybe a toddler. I've got grandkids running around. I, I relate to this. Ezra, he's 15 months old. He's into everything. And he's moving all the time. And he always grabs the most expensive stuff. Right? And how many know that, what you, how many have ever done this? You know, the, the child has now grabbed something that within one or two moments from now, it will be history. And so you're trying to get the child to let go of this precious object, at least in your mind, right? And you grab something, whatever it is, that has less value. Oh, look at this. Why? You want to distract them from what they've got, right? And you're trying to sell them on this. How many have ever done that? Come on. Anybody ever done that? You're selling them on this, right? And you keep doing things until finally they reach out and go, yeah, I want that. And you just kind of, with this other hand, take the other thing while you're giving them. Anybody ever done this? What is that? That's called transference. That is called, you know, you're, you're, you're helping them give up something because you've given them in their mind something greater you know the devil plays the game with us Ooh, you can give up god for this little trinket called a false idol it promises you a lot and our whole culture every single moment of every single day is dangling this junk in front of us so we will cough up this beautiful amazing relationship with god now that's the negative side here's the positive side you and I can give up all of the things that haunt us if we believe that what we're going to get is greater than that. That's what Nouwen is saying. 
And saying no to my lust, my greed, my needs, and the world's powers takes an enormous amount of energy. The only hope is to find something so obviously real and attractive that I can devote all of my energies to saying yes. One such thing I can say yes to is when I come in touch with the fact that I am loved. Once I have found that in my total brokenness, I'm still loved, I become free from the compulsion of doing successful things. We play a game. If I do the right things, I will be perceived to be successful. What he's saying is, we're going after the wrong stuff. What we deep down inside all want is to be loved to just who we are. That's our greatest need, by the way. And when you discover that God can love you like that, isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? You finally get it. No wonder Paul prayed for the Ephesians. He says, Lord, help him to get this. Help them to get an understanding of how much we're loved by God. Then we can stop doing a lot of the neurotic things we're doing, basically. All of the compulsive behavior, all the stuff we're doing to somehow portray ourselves as being this wonderful person when deep down inside we know we got brokenness in our lives. And it's very liberating to know that God still loves me even though I'm broken. It's very freeing. It's liberating. Well, I'm gonna close with this. As we fl- when we reflect on what prayer is all about, how many have already sensed I'm kind of transforming what I think prayer is about? What have I done? I've eliminated. It's not about my needs ultimately, though God will take care of my needs. It really is an upward focus. It's about a different agenda than what I have. It's not about me being quote unquote successful in this life. As a matter of fact, I think we have to redefine success because the world has taken that definition and redefined it a certain way. I think a successful person is the individual that is just doing what God wants them to do day by day. That's the most successful person. Our world, we pay people to do certain things. We have certain values, and we attribute value based on dollars. And have you ever thought about the people we pay the most? You know, the actors, the singers, the sports people, right? the stars, right? Their lives are so broken. Yeah, it's so sad. Yeah, we value that. Isn't that kind of sad? And we devalue the things that are really important, the person who cares for children in the daycare home, who is shaping the lives and minds of children, which is the greatest element that's going. But we don't pay them very much because as a culture, that's not our value. And yet in God's eyes, that's one of the highest values. Isn't that funny how we are? We're so, our culture is so messed up, folks. That's what I'm trying to, I warn you of. We got the wrong value system. So a true Christian is a sign of contradiction, a living symbol of the cross. He or she is a person who believes the unbelievable, bears the unbearable, forgives the unforgivable, loves the unlovable, and is perfectly happy not to be perfect, is willing to give up on his or her will because uh, because becomes weak to be strong and finds love by giving it away. Very interesting. It's the very opposite of what our world is doing. Why do we struggle with praying? The world with all of its gods and all of its many cares and consuming desires has become our home. And the region of prayer has become a strange and alien country. This I'm quoting now, Tilika. He says, that is why it's often so hard for us to make the transition from our world to the realm of prayer. We're filled with cares. We're distracted and driven about by doubts and restraints. We stand at the bottom of the stairs crying out from a long distance. But Jesus lives and breathes in the atmosphere of eternity. In other words, he's there. He's present. He's with us. True prayer really brings us into union with God. That's the most important thing. 
Something which the enemy of our soul is constantly battling, isn't he? True prayer is about him and not just about our needs. It's changing our agenda into his, at the same time freeing us from our compulsions and addictions. It's actually finding rest for our soul. Don't you think that's important? I really do. I'm going to have a stand tonight as we close in prayer. You know, I'm trying to, you know, make you think about prayer differently. How many here tonight, you go, Pastor, you know, you didn't give me the, eight, the one, two, threes about praying. What you actually did was develop a philosophical understanding of the true nature of prayer. What I basically tried to show you was that prayer is about God and not about you. I tried to move you away from, and me, from our agenda and our needs to really understanding God has an agenda that's far greater than ours. And that in prayer, when we sit in God's presence, we wait upon him, and yes, we bring our petitions. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we wait upon him, it's really discovering what his plan and purpose and agenda is for our lives. And that's probably not the way most of us engage in prayer. Wouldn't you say that's probably true? So with every head bowed here tonight, how many say, you know what? Instead of worrying about the mechanics of prayer or getting the words right, I've already told you, God's going to be there to help you out with the words. How many heard that? You heard that. So don't worry about being theologically correct. You know what God's more concerned about? He's concerned about our heart condition. What God is more concerned about is you and I getting on his page and getting us off our own. How many heard that? You heard that. How many say, you know, Pastor, I want God to help me to do that. I can't even get on his page. I'm so conflicted with all kinds of stuff in my own soul. It's hard to get on his page. You know, maybe that's why I need to spend more time at this moment. If I am that broken right now, I need to spend more time in his presence just being quiet and asking him to help me get on his page. How many think that would be great? And do you think that God is not going to want to answer that prayer when I'm saying, God, I really want to know your will for me. I really want to see your kingdom come through me. God's not interested in that. I think Jesus is telling us that's exactly what he wants to do. As a matter of fact, I am so convinced tonight that when you and I are doing what he wants us to do, he'll deliver us from our anxieties and our fears. How many would like to be delivered from anxiety and fear? Just raise your hand. Yeah. How many here would say, you know, Pastor, I want to be free from being so frustrated with life and so unforgiving. I want to be set free. I want to walk in freedom. As a matter of fact, I don't even want to do my will. I want to do your will. I want to have a free will because my will has been tainted to some degree. And I want to do your will. And you know what's going to happen? We could have an explosion. This would be a real revival if we actually said, God, could you make this happen in my life? We would actually have a revival in our personal lives. People would be going, what in the world's going on with you? Man, you're just walking around, you've got peace, you've got joy, you've got hope. All of a sudden, your priorities are different, your focus is different. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, help us to pray. That one brave disciple said, Lord, teach us to pray wasn't just asking for the right words to say. Because when we say the right words, that's what magic does. I say the right words expecting the right results. But the reality is tonight, I'm learning that prayer is about changing my orientation and agenda. 
It's about moving in a whole different pathway. It's about moving away from embracing the false substitutes that are called idols and pursuing after the things that our society says are of value to pursuing the things that you say are of value. And when we do that, Father, peace and joy and hope and grace and forgiveness and love flow into our lives. And I pray today, Lord, that as we meditate on these words, we're not going to just go home and forget them. But in this week and the next week as we talk about fasting, and then we go into three nights of prayer and fasting, Lord, that in these moments of time, that we will have such a transformation in our own lives and the purposes and direction of our lives, and that you will deliver us and eradicate our fears and anxieties, that you will help us to walk in joy and peace and righteousness, that we will fulfill your purposes, and that we will be light and salt and grace and hope in a world that is angry and frustrated and anxious and upset and filled with doubt and fear. Help us, O oh God, to be words and lives of hope and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you if you leave tonight.